you go to massage therapy as an athlete, as a person starting out, because you always want to stay ahead of things. You want, it's a proactive approach to a new event in your life. Track Friday. I'm Anne. Hello, hello. This is Ali. Welcome to another episode. What is going on? Um, where do we start? It's been an exciting week in the running world. Yeah, it's been an exciting day in the running world <laughs> today for sure. Today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been an exciting day. Um, two world records. Litsenet Gide broke the women's um, five thousand meter track record. Uh, set the new world record in 1406. Mm-hmm. And then it, I think it was previously held by Turnesh de Baba, also of Ethiopia, at 1412. So that was, a, mm-hmm. that was pretty big. Also, the other big big event of the day was Joshua mm-hmm. Sheptegai going for the 10,000 meters for Kenanisa Bekele's uh, 10,000 meter track record that was set in 2005, I think, which was... 2617 mm-hmm. and he ran a 2610 it's amazing 63 second lap after lap after lap 25 of them <laughs> kind of incredible well at the end he was 62 and then 61 I, I did get to watch both of them today and it was really just beautiful yeah i had watched litzenbet um in um i'd watched litzenbet gide break the 15k record in cross country she'd run a 44 20 and the previous record was like 45 and change so it was like a massive break last year in 2019 and i was like oh my god who is this runner and she looks so smooth and beautiful her form she made it look like it was easy <laughs> we obviously know that it wasn't easy because it stood for so long but wow and then yeah. uh Cheptegei, I I fell in love with Cheptegei when he uh won the world the cross country world championships last year like he is a beautiful runner too he's just amazing and he's so young um i didn't have time to check bekele's reaction what did he have to say i actually don't know i haven't seen anything yet um in terms of his reaction i'm sure he's gonna release something he's so gracious Uh, about the five thousand meters in august right he was i'm pretty sure it'd be similar they're on the same team they're part of nn running team elliot kipchoge actually wished check the guy well yesterday which was really nice and those events are available for anyone to watch. So you can go to the NN Running Team YouTube. Yeah, their coverage is amazing. And the commentary was so good. And it's just amazing to look at how far track racing has come now that they use the lights for the the um, world record pace, ahead of world record pace. And then if you're off of the pace, the different lights, it's pretty, it's so technical. Yeah, it's very innovative. It reminded me of like when you're playing video games, if you're playing like a racing video game. Mm-hmm. And you're doing laps. So when you go through a lap, a ghost of like a, a ghost character starts following you from your that is running your previous lap near you, so you can see how close you are to your so the lights reminded me of that of that. Yeah. Which I thought were pretty cool. You mentioned Kipchoge, we should talk about London. What a strange race in many ways. I mean, to have a marathon on a one what is it, one point three mile loop? And mm-hmm. no spectators. Those are the most challenging conditions. Plus, it was cold and rainy. And um, I have to say, 
what happened for Kipchoge, I just, it makes me admire him even more because it means he's human. He's such a class act. And what he said afterwards, he was so congratulatory towards the winners. It only endeared me towards him more. Yeah, he's a true champion. I mean, in terms of like, he's just such a Zen master. He takes back everything as like a learning experience. So this was just that for him. He's like, yeah, you know, not my day. Yeah, he said at 15 kilometers, he had an issue with his right ear. It blocked up and then he was trying, you know, you can tell like once you have an issue with your ear, if mm-hmm. it's ever happened, it just totally throws you off your balance. So, yeah, I was thinking that maybe that had something to do with him missing that water bottle. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, you mean like actually mm-hmm. ha- not having the balance and then not yeah, picking up that the that water bottle? Yeah, that might have affected his, his um, ability to sense where it was that and then after that when after he missed that i did not see him pick up any more bottles mm, me so maybe he just he he lost his focus in that way so that was kind of interesting to see yeah any it goes to show anything can happen on race day and, and then there's sarah hall <laughs> what an incredible race she ran wow wow i've watched that finish like kept rewinding it like the last 1500 meters of that of the women's finish it was just so awesome to watch the there was clearly she was like hurting but she just did not give up there was like determination in her eyes and like pain in her face but she was like i I just gotta go and and it was just amazing yeah yeah she said a few things that i really two things that i really loved one was that she ran so much of the race on her own and the things that she was saying to herself to stay focused one of them was that she was just gonna she was the leaders were gonna start coming back to her and she just told herself that and lo and behold, they did. And then after the race, when she said, um, when preparation meets opportunity, that's when things like that happen. And it's such a good plug for just carrying on. We do what we can on a daily basis and you wait for that opportunity. And man, did she have like, she took that opportunity. You know, I was actually talking to Stuart about this and he was saying that it was like really smart of her that she didn't go for the win. You know, she didn't go out of the gate trying to get the win she she ran her own race and and the people did come back to her it reminds me of like the unusual some people kind of talking about the unusual set of winners at boston 2018 right they did not mm-hmm. give up and just ran their race and ended up finishing on the podium which was amazing to see you just don't know what the day will bring yeah that's what is so great about sport especially yeah. running I mean, look at Houston. That was a similar kind of thing. Aside from that, just having all of this happen during the pandemic and racing slowly coming back, watching groups starting training again, it's bringing a little bit of sense of normalcy, which is great. Speaking of returning to racing, we have a great episode today that's going to be really helpful as we all get back into our training plans and have to take care of our bodies. (laughs) It might have been neglected during um, covid yeah, or, or or you come back too hard. Or you come back too hard, yes. Yeah. So our guest today is Claudia Chapel, and she is a sports massage therapist. She's been a muscular therapist in private practice for over 25 years in New York City. Just a little heads up, this was recorded pre-COVID. So if during the interview we feel like we are absolutely oblivious to a pandemic around us, it's because it wasn't happening at the time. Um, so yeah, it was recorded a little little while back and now we are i think it's the perfect time to sort of release it yeah yeah hope you enjoy the show so we just had 10 seconds of silence and that is about if you are running a 520 mile that's 50 meters (laughs) 
Okay, <laughs> just letting you know, in case you are interested in that number. My heart is racing right now. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about it. Yeah, you know, 40 second 200, easy. easy. With a pickup at the end, so you go to 518 maybe. Yeah, hopefully. We have a special guest today. Please state your name for the record. My name is Claudia Chapel. Claudia is someone who we have been looking forward to interviewing for a very long time. My relationship with Claudia started from a frantic phone call <laughs> in 2000, and I think it was 13, and I was training for, or maybe it was 15, I can't remember, but I was training for the New York City Marathon, and I had something going on with my ankle, and John Honorkamp, who we've had on this show before, said, you must call Claudia immediately. And I was on Martha's Vineyard, and I couldn't run. I was in a lot of pain. And I left you this message, and you wrote me the most beautiful email. And you said, don't worry. Come to see me as soon as you're back in New York, and we'll take care of everything. And ever since then, it's I go to you for all of my musculoskeletal issues. <laughs> That's good. Um, so with that introduction, I'll give the real kind of official one. Claudia is a performance specialist. You have worked on multiple trips to the Olympic Games as a therapist to the United States rowing team, the United States track and field team, the United States Paralympic cycling team, as well as over 20 World Cup and World Championship events, including USA Volleyball and women's professional soccer, and also working with the NBA Players Association. You are a member of the NSAF medical staff since 1994, and you've been a recipient of the Unsung Hero Award in honor that you very much cherish, which I'm sure you do because it's a, quite an accomplishment. Um, so welcome to the show, Claudia. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I love I love your title, performance specialist. Can you, or I guess <laughs> title is the right word, or that's how you describe yourself. Can you can you explain what that entails? What does that mean? Well, when you're in a in a performance therapy like I am, it's more than just working with the muscles. You have to really get inside the the reason for why the person has shown up at your door. It's not just what happened this week or this morning. It's what's been going on over time. So if you're an athlete or a performing artist or someone who's a very stressed out, high level executive, you usually have a lot of things, a complex st uh, set of things going on that created the, the stress in the body that had you at my door in the first place. So what we discover is what's happening and why you're not able to perform. And we get to it and we either shut you down for a little while or we push you forward with great speed usually. So, you know, usually people come to me as the last chance saloon mm -hmm. and, you know, they walk out saying, okay, I can do this, whatever it is. So that's what performance therapy is about, is like working with the mind, body, and the spirit, getting you going, right? <laughs> and can you share with us a little bit about how you got into this line of work? Sure. Um, I was a dancer in New York for many years, and I traveled the world as a dancer, actually. And uh, I had a therapist that, well, <laughs> all of New York dancers went to. His name was Ben Benjamin. He uh, started a school that I didn't realize he had, of course, because I didn't care about anything except for dancing and being at the best I could be. So mm -hmm. I uh, called him up one day because at the tender age of 36 or so, I was having a lot of pain every day. And I, I couldn't put my finger on it, what it was exactly. So I called him up and he said, listen, you have to come up and see me at the school. I'm too busy 
with the school and uh, to be to come to New York. I said, you're not in New York right now. <laughs> but so off I go to Boston where he had started a beautiful, beautiful school called the Muscular Therapy Institute. And uh, I walked in the door and I said, what am I studying at Fordham for? I actually, on that, at the same time, I was studying classics at Fordham. And uh, I said, this is what I should be doing with the rest of my life. This is where I belong. I really knew it. And he said, well, we have, it was January. And he said, well, we have another, we have an opening. If you want to get in on this class, I, I will put you in. And we called that, at the time, it was called the, you know, we considered it the Harvard of Massage School because it was 1,200 hours just to bare minimum plus, um, which is a three-year program. And ultimately, if you take the advanced training, which is in injury prevention and restoration. So that's what I did, and I stuck it out. And um, then I went into an integrative somatic practitioner's role. I studied with the great Tom Myers, who many, many runners are aware of because of anatomy trains. And anatomy trains is something that's, we, this area of expertise, um, a lot of people claim it now, but it has to do with the fascia. And the fascia is the major issue in every single athlete's life. So if they don't attach it to the, the fascia in the first place, you don't really, you, you'll always just be putting a Band-Aid on somebody's injury. So uh, we studied with Tom Myers, which was another two-year program, because he had really gotten into the nitty-gritty of fascia research. And so I joined the part, as part of that, I became a founding member of the Fascia Research Society, which is an international organization that's really it's so revolutionary. It just blows your brain when you, when you see any, any work on it. But okay, so that's how I started, and that's where I am now still. <laughs> that's amazing. So how, did, how long did it take you to transition totally into that, out of the oh, dancing? Were you still um, dancing? Oh, yeah, I danced until 1992. So I, I continued dancing. I started doing less and less, working more and more with dancers. So tap mm -hmm. was my thing, and that, at that point I was doing a lot of um, – tap work and hanging out with some very interesting people and they always have injuries mm -hmm. too so this 10 toe percussion business it's it's intense on the body you get a lot of knee knee ankle issues from just constantly the battery you know mm -hmm. so I uh, got right into that and then I did a couple of gigs still but you know my real heart my heart had already moved on which I was so grateful for and I met Tracy Sundlin the great track god that he is i met him in 1992 when i started volunteering 92 93 in there someplace i started volunteering with the mac and the aau they didn't have any real sports medicine people on staff so i started helping out and next thing i know it's national scholastic athletic foundation and we i've been with them ever since so my first national meet was in 93 actually but i really put my all into it in 94 but that's just getting kids going. It's amazing that group. What an what a group. If you if you have a heart for track, that's any kid like John Honorkamp or anyone that we all know. They all they all got got going with the National Scholastic Athletic Foundation, started by Tracy Sunlin and a few others. What was yeah. it like to work in that environment? Because there's obviously a lot of pressure on the chill on the kids. Yeah, and you have such a maternal quality to you so I'm sure you were really instrumental in their learning prop I would imagine you taught them self-care yes yes that's that is actually our main goal as the medical staff 
it has grown. It has really grown since we started. When we, I first started working with them, with National Scholastics, at the like the indoor and outdoor meets uh, for national championships, I would see coaches ballistically stretching their athletes on the floor or on the benches. I mean, putting all their weight on this 14-year-old's hamstring and wondering why they have they have avulsion fractures. Mm. We had we had all kinds of stuff. So as a medical team, we really started. We, we held a lot of clinics in the beginning. In the 2000s, we held clinics, but nobody really comes to the clinics because they're too busy watching their athletes compete. So we started to put together these teams that we take on the road. Like we have a pr- couple of projects, like the triple jump project and um, the javelin project. And we take kids to, to major meets in the world and where we take them to compete in other countries for their first trips abroad. For example, someone like Sydney McLaughlin, the outstanding athlete that she is, she had her first international trip with us. And she's wow. not the only one. Matt Bowling, who's number one in, um, in, the, in sprints, you know, he, he's, he had his first trip with us to the Bahamas. So we've done that for lots of kids. Mark, Marquise Goodwin, who is a, a football player for San Francisco, he was, he was a jumper for us. So these kids really get a start. They get to see what other people do, how, how it can be that you don't have to be browbeaten. We have a, a, an amazing sports psychologist with us. Everybody gets, um, they get something fundamental mm-hmm. that, that they can hold on to. So physically, emotionally, Mentally, they are prepared, and they and you can see the kids. You know this at the track meets, actually. The kids that hang out in the training room are the ones that succeed. Mm-hmm. It, I've never seen it any other way. So over 30 years now almost, I've seen kids just do so well because they, they bring the focus in. They're not on their phones. They're not hanging out. They are preparing, preparing, preparing. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to help adult athletes with this because a lot of people come especially in track in marathoning and running they come to this late especially women they come to this late in life they didn't they didn't run track in high school they didn't run in college and they're feeling their power all of a sudden and they want to do it all the time and they run and they run and they run and they run and they don't understand why they're so badly injured but it's because they like they they didn't have the fundamentals to get them there. I mean, group training, all these things that they finally attach themselves to, that comes later. They don't mm-hmm. start with that usually. So it's very, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I'm glad to see people are taking care of themselves, but it takes a while. We often talk a lot about training age, and mm-hmm. um, it sounds like you're alluding to that. Are there certain things that you see as a therapist that kind of a rite of passage issues for new runners that kind of go out too fast maybe? Yes. <laughs> Foot, ankle, knee, sometimes hip, but all starting um, starts high, especially nowadays that people are so attached to cell phones and uh, mm-hmm. computers. They're there and they, they do all that stuff often on the couch. If they're working from home, they're on the couch with a computer like this, the coffee, of, you know, they're doing. So there's so many factors that go into their, their dis, disabling factors that they don't, and they don't want to believe me, and they don't want to hear what I have to say. They definitely don't. They want to tell me what's wrong. So I just listen. I, actually, I don't listen. I talk to them all the time, but I try to listen. You do. <laughs> I'm not good at it, really, though. 
honest. Um, but I, I listen to what they're saying, and I say, okay, so are you running with your friends? Are you running with music? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And they'll, you know, as they tick off all the things that they're doing, I say, well, if you're going to run with your friend, never turn your head to talk to them. Run with your face forward. Keep your hands. Don't cross the midline with your hands. It's like number one issue that I see when I'm running in the park. So when you cross the midline, you naturally start to torque. And as you twist, the, the hips get involved. Then the knee starts, to, and then your knee isn't tracking properly. Many people run on their heels. You, you know, and people who are really fast at running their heels, can you imagine if they got on the balls of their feet what they would run like? Can you imagine how fast it could be? Wow. <laughs> so to see people running on their heels still have that heel strike, it just kills me. Speaking anyway. from experience, it's yes. really hard to undo that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so can I actually, since yeah. we're on the topic, let's, yeah. let's dive in. I'm mm-hmm. going to take you up on this. So if someone does want to make that transition, mm-hmm. right, they, and in my, from very limited experience of mine from working, watching other runners, and learning, I've realized that a lot of the times I, people who are running on their forefront are the ones who started super young, they had some track background, they've got the right training age, or they have, right. they've done, they have unintentionally done the homework, right? right? As opposed to someone who started mid-30s, they have been walking all their life, mm-hmm. so they have been heel striking by walking, and then all of a sudden they're running, and now they're it's like a faster walking. I'm I'm just making mm-hmm, things mm-hmm, up, and correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. So at some point, you're as coaches, you hear coaches trying to have them undo that, like, mm-hmm. hey, let's do hill work, and on the hill you tend to probably land more, or do I don't know what, what's it called, uh, mountain climbers that right, kind of right, help right. you do that stuff. What's the proper way to undo it if? if there is one other than like because i'm assuming if you just force mentally mm-hmm. a whole other way of running right i'm i'm doing this gesture <laughs> in my hand as if your ankle's turning and now right, all of a right, sudden right. you're on the balls of your feet what's the right way to avoid potentially an injury of trying to force something like right. that? right yeah. so that's the that is a great great uh question the thing that i would recommend is you want to start uh, you want to do an exercise to the wall if you can, hands on the wall, and just bring your feet up, bring your feet up, bring your feet up, and lean from the ankle and not from the waist. So as people try to get up onto their balls of their feet, they often lean at the waist and run, which is really, that's ballistic. That's mm-hmm. hard on the body. And if you can practice by putting it, like, it's, I would say the best technique I've ever seen for it is pose. P-O-S-E, start, uh, Nick Romanoff, Dr. Nick Romanoff, you can see a lot of YouTubes that he's done. I mean, I have watched him, I remember telling mm-hmm. him to do this, run full tilt on ice in sneakers, just run full out and not slip slide or anything else because he d- used that pose technique. And if you think about the way like a Michael Johnson or a Meb, any of these people run, it looks as if they're totally upright when they move through space. They're not bending at all. They're running so fast, but they're completely straight up and down. It's amazing to watch. Mm -hmm. And their legs are just turning over underneath them. And that's one of the things about winter running. You can get some of this technique down by picking your steps in in bad. You're looking down. You're paying attention. You're picking your feet up a little bit higher because you don't want to lean back. A lot of people 
go from leaning way back to tipping forward. And that also creates issues in their hips and their legs and knees. But if you're going to make a transition, don't force it. Just the transition will come if you pick up your feet. Once you start picking up your feet, you can't come back on your heels. The other, oh, I just thought of this. I forgot about this one. It's a great one. If you really want to learn how it feels to be on the balls of your foot and to be on the balls of your foot, the ball of your foot correctly, you find a straight, like you can do this in a hallway. You turn around, you run backwards. Just run backwards totally naturally, like boom, 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 without anything, you know, that's going to trip you up that you have to look back for. And then you just stop. And you will stop right on the ball of your foot because you don't want to fall over. And that's exactly why you run on the balls of your feet to begin with. When you lean back or when you run on your heels, you're not allowing gravity to help you. Your gravity, you're, you're fighting gravity. If you run on the closer to the forefront where the midfoot strike, you are allowing gravity to pull you along. So that's why hill running is so effective because when you run up a hill, if you lean into the hill from the ankle instead of from the waist, you will, the gravity will just pull you up that hill. Mm -hmm. And of course, you use your arms a little bit more, but you're not bringing your hands. I have seen the things I see, you know, people with their hands up in the air, like over their heads, like, what are you doing? You know, but I've, I can say that I've done it myself, but <laughs> just yeah. get your hands, mm -hmm. keep them nice and natural. John Honorcap always says, it's like holding a little bird in your hands. Right? You hold the little bird. You don't squeeze it so it'll die in your hands, but you hold it gently, and that's how your hands should be, too. And always coming down by your sides, just touching your pockets, essentially. So you don't bring your arms out. You keep them close. That would be my advice. It's interesting because uh, hearing you talk about it and then having been in the process of changing that for myself, it's been it's, it's been very challenging because of – I mean, I would imagine neurologically it's the mm -hmm. neuropathways mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. just movement and what you're trained to do and then trying to rewire that. In my process of getting onto my toes, it's been a lot of shortening my stride, landing under my center of gravity, which is hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do. But then what I've also realized is that you get the turnover faster and um, getting into spikes helps too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> does it ever. But the, the real, this is a key issue right there, turnover. The faster the turnover, believe it or not, your heart rate comes down. You get more oxygen. And actually, another great trick for, for speeding up is to really nose breathe. Keep your mouth shut, too, while you're nose breathing. Breathing in, breathing out through the nose. Now, that takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So you're only going to do it for, you know, you got to work up. Yeah. But the reason why you do it is because you lose a lot of oxygen coming back out. So if you're taking the oxygen in through the mouth, it's flying around in here, mm -hmm. but it's not going down there mm -hmm. where you need it, so into the lungs. So if you keep your mouth shut and you breathe in through your nose and you breathe out, it also, there's still oxygen left in your mouth that you can use. So it's just amazing. The body was created to do all of these things. It's and, such uh, a subtle thing, and now that I think of it, like, you can watch someone like Elliot Kipchoge run a 201 marathon, and it's not until the last 5K that he slightly opens his mouth because mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's like, 
434 paces finally catching up to him. But before then, it's pretty much closed the whole time. He's nose breathing. That's right. That's right. It's amazing to watch, to see. And and that's what I always say. Just look at the greats anytime. So just stick with it. It's mm-hmm. hard and slow, some of these changes, but they, they happen if you if you just give yourself credit for doing it in the first place. You can get there, I think. Do you want, oh. I was going to ask if you wouldn't mind talking us through kind of our general listener is someone who's a recreational runner mm-hmm. who may or may not have been training for however many years. What is the benefit of going to include massage therapy into their regime? All right, well, for, for all the reasons that massage therapy works, I mean, it can feel good, you're stressed out, you de- de- detoxify, all kinds of things. It's important to bear in mind that Hippocrates, the father of medicine, was a massage therapist. So it's important to remember that in ter- for millennia, we intuited what was going on inside the body. We did not cut a body open to see what was going on inside, then close it back up and say, okay, I think you need a massage. You know, <laughs> we, would do, we would figure things out based upon on what we, we felt would be true, looking at the coloration of somebody. Um, I mean, I know from my own personal experience that I have put my hands on more than one person that I knew was extremely ill. Mm-hmm. They had come to me for a back problem, back spasms, I put my hands on them, and I knew they were very, very ill. So I went to their doctor and said, you you know, without saying, you missed something, buddy. I said, you sent this person to me for muscle spasms. I know that they're very sick, and I think you need to look a little closer. Mm-hmm. I think they have cancer in their stomach, in the in the in the you know somewhere in the stomach area. And they were the guy was like, what are you talking about? But but it was right. So the reason, um, and boy, was he glad I told him. But anyway, so getting back to the subject, I digressed there. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you go to massage therapy as an athlete, as a person starting out, because you always want to stay ahead of things. You want It's a proactive approach to a new event in your life. So you've decided you really want to do a marathon or you really want to run um, a 5K, your first 5K, and you're really sore and your knees hurt and your ankles hurt and your feet hurt and your neck is bothered. Why is my neck hurting? Because when you first start running, your neck really hurts sometimes, especially after a half marathon, forget it. Your neck is killing you usually because your shoulders are up by your ears and you don't know how to hydrate enough. You need to be hearing all this stuff. A massage therapist will tell you right away when they put their hands on you, you are dehydrated. Mm. And you'll say, how do you know I'm dehydrated? Well, <laughs> these are the signs. <laughs> and I tell them what's going on. And so they're always so surprised about that. Or I'll put my thumb right in the middle of the arch and I'll say, oh, you know, your shoes, let me take a look at your shoes. And their shoes are worn out. Or their shoes, or they're running off the heel. Or they're, you know, the shoe is, they're wearing the shoes to work and then they're running in them. And then they wear them every day. So, you know, I could tell all this stuff just looking, and that's what a good sports massage person, if you're going to be running, uh, if you're going to run a massage, run, a, run a, any kind of race, you need to see a sports massage person who actually says, this is what I do. I'm a sports massage person. They, they can be a general, I mean, I'm not saying that massage envy won't uh, be good for you, but 
you know, I'm not saying that. That's not that wouldn't be fair. But I would really, really, if you're going to spend the money, spend it wisely, just the same way as you get the right shoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need two things. You need the body to work, and you need the shoes to fit. That's, that's it. That's true. To yeah. run. So, with, um, so somebody that's just going to start running and has an idea that they'll do a marathon this year, once a month is a really great t- thing to do. Massage therapy once a month for anyone that really runs, it's a way of staying very healthy. And one of the ways that massage therapy helps a person is that it's, it moves things through the body, all right, from areas of greater concentration to lower concentration. Just the reason I tell everyone, take an Epsom salt bath. And one says, oh, come on, Epsom salt bath. I said, yeah, there's a reason why it works. Moving negative ions from an area of higher concentration, which is inside your body, to an area of lower concentration, which is outside your body. So they're always so shocked, but it works because salt and soda works that way. And it, it's, that's, the ancients knew it, and it's still true. That's why animals do it. They go down. I mean, they they figure out things that, because they don't have they don't have a psychiatrist to talk to. You know, I mean, they'll go and do a salt lick. That's what an animal will do, and it needs to replenish its its salt stores and so on. Anyway, so yeah, so massage therapy. Mm-hmm. Getting back to that, <laughs> it's not just every single thing that you said. Like when I went to you for the first time, I realized <laughs> the holistic approach down to the minute details that came with a visit to you right like speaking of and i'm assuming you're saying you go to a sports massage therapist and you'll get that kind of advice and one example of a detailed thing that you told me was like you're running 60 mile weeks getting ready for a marathon to get the most out of your shoes make sure you alternate shoes because the foam takes at least a day to regenerate back to give you the full cushioning that it's meant to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I would have never thought of that, like <laughs> to have alternate shoes in between, like to, to give it enough room to go back mm-hmm. to where it needs, right? Like, And that's a minor detail. Maybe if you're running 20, 30 mile weeks, may not be that, or maybe, but if you're getting into this marathon stuff where it can push you over to do a lot of mileage all the time and this wear and tear and I thought that was that was so that, I mean that's just one example right that was yeah. like so and many that's other. really important and you really should if you run more I mean every every day that you run you need I would say you probably only need two pairs of shoes working but, but you need to have them two good pairs of shoes and when the shoe, and this is the other thing I tell everybody also, when the shoe is dead for running, it's dead. Dead to you for everything. It has to go away. Because running is the, the, the pounding that you do, and you do it very consistently, and you're paying attention, and you're, you're, in, the, you're in the slot in the zone. But walking around, you're just screwing around, and you're walking on shoes that are dead. So as you stand in the at Macy's and you go to the grocery store in dead shoes, imagine how dead they are for you, how, what they're doing to your legs and your back mm-hmm. and your butt and the parts of you that really need to be fresh. I just got busted because <laughs> I have this whole thing where the, they become not running right. shoes, and I'm like, oh, I'll just walk to work in them. No. But I love that yeah. about you is that yeah. you, you bust me on so many things. <laughs> but I do it in a, with my yeah. heart. I know you do. Yeah. You care so much. I'm yeah. going to go back. When you were explaining the performance mm-hmm. specialist bit, you, you talked about when someone walks in, you try to get to the root of why are you here. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming half of it is – 
you explain all the physical things that you're trying to figure out, what kind of stress you have in your life. There's a good chunk of it is that's here, right? I'm right, pointing right, to my head. head it's yes. mental, right? Right. As a performance specialist, how do you tap into those parts and kind of, or I don't know. I mean, I, what what is it in that arena that, as a performance specialist, that right. uh, you advise on? Right? Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the tricky part, because that's tricky. Mm -hmm. I do not, you know, I'm not diagnosing anything, mm -hmm. and I am not really advising. I, if I saw somebody who's really troubled in their, the, the, their approach, if I see that they're getting way too thin or things happen, I see stuff all the time in my office. Mm -hmm. I know something, I know things, I could tell somebody, they don't have to open their mouths, and I could tell if they're, they're suffering physical abuse, I, I could tell a lot of things, especially with young athletes. But what I do is I open up the space for them to feel the sacred space that they're in. When they're in my office, it's, it's sacred. They can tell me anything or not tell me anything. They can cry, they can laugh, they can feel at ease, they can swear if they can't swear at home, whatever. So they could tell me anything. Also, when you're when you see somebody who's really struggling with staying on their regimen, whether it be like trying to eat right for their running, and many people, they say to me, I, you know, they eat out basically all the time. So you cannot be a great runner and eat out all the time because it doesn't matter how fine a restaurant you're going to. They're using Cisco. They go to Cisco Foods to get half their stuff. So you don't have control really over the food that you eat unless you're controlling it yourself. You have to start cooking for yourself or at least assembling your meals somehow. So, so many athletes will come to me and tell me that they just can't stay consistent with their diet, their, their, their works. And so, I, you know, when you're living in New York and you're working these insane jobs that we have here, that's why I ask them what they do. This is why I have to find out how much time they're at the computer. Because, or they have client dinners and they have client meetings and they have to be on their toes for that. Sounds like they go to a client dinner and they're drinking, they're not in marketing, marketing back in the day where they're having cocktails or going to Bliss Spa, you know, on a client meeting. They, they are really working and they're not the ones drinking at that client meeting. They're the ones that have to be on their toes while the client is drinking. So they have a lot of stress. And so knowing what they're putting in the body, what kind of work they do, how much pressure they're under, that determines how they run also. Because if running is the main outlet to just get this stuff off their back, then they have to be really thoughtful about how they run and what they're putting in the body to be, be good at that. So I can only advise those kinds of people on that uh, in that way, where I say, oh, it sounds to me like you're you know, your job's put a lot of pressure on you. You're traveling a lot right now. Tr make sure that you're hydrating. Make sure that you're reading a novel or poetry before you go to sleep. I mean, try, I mean, I'm not going to say, I, I believe in meditation, and I know how hard it is to achieve any kind of meditative state as a person like me, very energetic person, but I work at it all the time. So I tell people it's going to take work. Use Oprah and show Deepak, you know what I mean? Find somebody that can just guide you through it so that you can chill yourself chill yourself down a little. Thanks for pointing at our logo. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> That's awesome. 
So, you know, I mean, that, so I do advise on everything. I, whatever I know, and if I don't know it, I find somebody who does, and then I get back to you. That, so that's what a performance therapist does. There are a few of us out there. There are not a lot of us because you really have to feel that way about what you're doing. Anyone can put their hands on you with different levels of skill over time. But the person that puts their hands on you and says, let's see how if we can find a solution, I'll call you tomorrow. I know it's a Sunday or whatever. But I have right now two of my favorite clients have been coming to me for over 30 years. One of them I can't find right now. I was in touch with her very recently, but her phone is not. You know, I've gone to her house. I've gone to try and find. I mean, she was older when she came to me, so I know she's in her late 80s. And I've been staying, keeping in touch with her, staying on top of her. She can't come to me anymore. It's too far across town, all that. But I'm very concerned. Not everyone's going to be that way. I have another one that's, you know, now in a nursing home. I'm going over to Jersey to make sure I take care of her. Because she came to me for 30 years and never, never blanched when I told her my fee, you know. <laughs> and she paid it. So I'm not going to take care of her now when she needs me. That's a, you know, not everyone's going to be like that for you. You know, if you can't help somebody, if somebody tells you they've got this or that, um, Lyme disease comes to mind. You know, it has symptoms that are very similar to lots of symptoms, and but they're not the same. You can't really help them, but it doesn't mean you don't check up on them because you tried to help them and it didn't work. But so you gave them a few names, a few numbers, some, some you know, thought about who do you know, who do you know? And then you, you find out, have you followed through on that? I mean, I know you're not feeling well, so would you like me to give that doctor a call for you? That's what you do when you actually care about what you're doing. And so it never like work, really, in the end. It makes you, that, so performance therapy is like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just to plug you yeah. a little bit, that has been my entire experience with oh, you. Oh, thank so you. For the listeners, Claudia's top game, top. <laughs> <laughs> thank yeah. you, thank you. But you do have to, you actually do have to care. Yeah. Can you, mm-hmm. I think in New York, we, mm-hmm. it's so easy to get so many different options. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to go? Like I have a niggle. Yeah. <laughs> niggle gets used yeah, so niggle. much between yeah. runners. I'm niggle. like, what does that mean? Niggle. Are you at <laughs> pain scale of 10, you're going to die, but you still want to run this marathon niggle? <laughs> <laughs> or are you just, you know? How well we all know that one. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, l- limp on in. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, John Honorkamp's episode. Yes. He's like, someone comes up to me on crutches the day before the marathon. He's like, what, 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 do, you, what do you think, coach? Can I do this? Yes. We have, he and I have had that conversation so many times. Um, <laughs> I guess my, my question is like, can you, or just at a high level, tell us the difference between like, uh, like, a, you, like a performance therapist, a chiropractic, and like right. a physical therapist and maybe their categories all, I'm missing. We're like, all very different. Yeah. So physical therapy, so for me, if somebody came to me and they were limping along, mm-hmm. the first thing I say to them, did you call your doctor? Do you have a doctor? Do you have a physical therapist? Who have you been seeing? Are you going to a chiropractor? What did they tell you? You have an osteopath? You know, I get to it right away because I don't diagnose. Mm-hmm. So even if I say, I think you this is going on, I think you need an MRI, I will say that. Mm-hmm. I very rarely use the MRI word because with usually with most people it is a fascial muscular a musculofascial issue for most people. 
unless they are high mileage runners, like 60 plus, then the stress fractures come in, then you know, the not eating enough, like all the factors that you would expect from very high mileage people. They are the ones that always need a close scan mm -hmm. because they tend to have labral tears, they tend to have stress fractures of the, you know, in the hips and the, the tibia and, you know, they, they get problems because they too, put so much mileage on and they wear too little clothing, <clears throat> in my opinion, they're not staying warm. That's another thing. I know that's a big controversy always. When I'm in the park and I see people in shorts and just 29 degree weather, I want to just run over and slap them. But <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Keeping your body covered, think about how hard your heart has to work in cold weather, which is one of the reasons why it's so great to work out, to run outdoors in cold, cold weather, because your body has to work harder and you have to slow way down. You can't expect to run fast in cold weather. You should actually slower way down and take advantage of the slowdown to your body will work just as hard, harder in fact. Because so, to keep the body warm, the heart has to work harder because it's moving things all the way through and back. And if can, you can yeah. I just add to yeah. that real quick? Mm -hmm. to just I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, I was just gonna say like, and it's difficult. I I I think it's difficult for runners to do that because they get out with less clothing. Mm -hmm. They want to get, and then they want to get warm faster. Mm -hmm. So they might just out the gate without any kind of warm up. Correct. Hit, hit a pace much harder and things are not warm and like all of a sudden you're like much more like susceptible to something going wrong within January and February before you have actually and you're sick and you get sick mm -hmm. yeah people are always I mean I don't they're always coughing sneezing whatever I was like I'm looking at you you don't have socks on <laughs> are you kidding me like I walk in the door without a hardly a jacket no scar what is going on it's winter Wake up. <laughs> All right. But anyway, yep. yes, you got to cover your body. And I mean, even if you're, if you're running in Finland, they wear clothes up there. So they cut, they have thermal tights. You can, you can have the wind jacket and something. I mean, you just have to have layers, but you must have gloves and you must have a hat yeah. and you must wear wool socks if you can inside your shoes, in your sneakers, because those are mesh. And it's very cold out there in your body, your skin, you're losing so much heat through your skin because it's porous and it's, the, it's a very semi-permeable membrane. It, it a lot, loses a lot, of, a lot of moisture as well. So your body is not high, it's all the hydration is going right out into the atmosphere and your insides are paying the price. So. I mean, I cannot stress this enough. Keeping covered is so key and too bad if you're hot. You know what I mean? Get over it. Yeah, speaking of meditation, mm -hmm. I think our intro music can be used as meditation, as I heard today from someone else, that they really like it and it's pretty chill. Yeah, it is yeah. very chill. We've gotten some good mm -hmm. comments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In fact, yeah. someone asked us, like, how did you find it? And we can just tell the story. I mean, we obviously, it has to be free licensed. Mm -hmm. um, or not licensed. No, no I mean, it has to be in the public domain. Yeah, in yeah. the public domain. Well, exactly. actually, we paid for the one we liked. We yeah. paid for the one. But That's it was good. like, we couldn't just choose a song that we liked mm -hmm. off of some album that we had bought on <laughs> iTunes. Um, but we very 
we were going off of our instinct. We just listened to many, 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 many tracks, but only for like a few seconds. We're like, nope, 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 nope. Because we knew what we were looking for, yeah. and it wasn't until we heard it that we're like, there it is. That's, That's it so was, great. Yeah, it was funny. Like our experience in creating the podcast has been that. Like we've been so in sync and on the same page. Like we're just playing and both of us were shaking our heads on each of them at the same time until we heard what we wanted. We we're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you went, oh, <laughs> this one looks good. <laughs> this and then we like, had another backup. And so we kind of flipped really quickly between the two, almost like a flip book. Mm-hmm. And we went with the one. That yeah. Oh, that's just, great. Um, I love that. What is, what is, if there is any difference in your approach in working with get on the cot junior you just won the new york city marathon versus like you know you just hit your running under five hour goal right like oh yeah it's just fantastic the same approach yeah. i mean a victory that's your win that's mm. your victory i hold you in your victory yeah. every time and i hold everyone in their victory because no matter where you are, I once I had a runner. I, I was watching her one time. Like now, once they put the app up, I'm watching. She's doing great. She's doing great. Then all of a sudden, she disappears. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh! This is she got a mile and a half to go. What the hell happened? She slipped on one of those damn bananas. Mm-hmm. I tell them every year, get those bananas out of there. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many people this girl was set to to come under four hours. Ended up walking like crawling some of it. Fear infuriating. But anyway. What was I thinking? I was just going to say something about the, oh, uh, yeah, holding on. Oh, oh my gosh. So after Boston in 96, when Cosmos and Daddy won, I was his therapist. You know, it, I also used to run that room in Boston. And uh, so we're there, and he comes back, and the camera's everywhere, because it was the 100th running. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Uda Pippig, Cosmos, it was a big deal. They come, they're coming in there with the cam, television cameras and all this stuff with him, and he's coming back, and he says, he takes his laurel wreath off his head, puts it on my head, right? And he says, no interview before massage. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen the photo of you yes, wearing the wreath. Wearing... <laughs> right. That is so cool. That was yeah. so great. Oh, my gosh. But that's how, I mean, it really was so organic. Mm. I think, I mean, I don't think that it isn't still. It's truly organic for all the runners because mm. they... You know, maybe track it, maybe marathoning is your life and it's your career and it's your livelihood. And that's amazing if you can get, that's a nice work if you can get it. But you know how few people there are in the world that actually can make a living from this. So for everyone else, it is your life goal. And every time you do a life goal of this type, you, you say, I can do better next time. I can do better. That's always working. This is the motivator in, this is what makes us thrive as humans, mm-hmm. is you always say, that was great. I'll never have to do this again if I don't want to. But all of a sudden, you walk across that finish line, you get the medal, and you're saying, I'm thinking about next year. I was like, when do I start training for next year? And you're the person that said, oh, my gosh, if I can just survive this. You said that this morning. <laughs> By this mm-hmm. afternoon... You're ready to sign up for the nine plus one, right? So we all know that we thrive on every challenge. All humans thrive, especially when the challenge is met. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't your day, if you do shut down, you usually shut down because something has happened. That isn't the end. It just is the shutdown 
for today. Mm -hmm. And then you go forward from there. You say, I have to reassess. What did I do? Why did this happen? I mean, you, you're going to go through the pain, you know, the anger, the whatever all that those steps are, the grieving process. And you have to, as you know. Mm -hmm. You have to go through the grieving process, and it's very real, and no one should downplay it. And P.S., if you're around people that, that aren't in your corner, when you're going through the grieving process of an injury or, or a disappointment in yourself or others, you have to walk away from those people. You have to, otherwise you will never recover. You have to step away, and I mean, if it's your parents, your husband, your wife, it doesn't matter. You just have to say, I, you know, I'll, I'll be in touch, or I'll call you. Right, right now I'm feeling like this, and you just shut them out, right? That's a really beautiful thing to say, and I just wanna like dovetail on that, because during my injury, I was experiencing how exhausting it is to heal. Healing mm -hmm. takes a lot of energy, and so I didn't have energy for like, all, you, you can't give out a lot. No. You really have to keep it close, and so that just thank you for, yeah. for saying that, because. It's important because you can also feel guilty about that, about going in sometimes, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like there's a season in, in the yeah, world yeah. and also in our lives and it's constantly changing and the injury season is like a winter. You do have to go in. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a very good point also. So it's not necessarily that they don't understand or they, they wish you were more attentive. If you have the courage to actually say, I am in a really rough spot right now and I don't want you to worry about me because I'm going to be okay but I really just need some time off from everything, from everyone and everything. I'm, you know, I'll be back. If you don't hear from me in a few weeks, then I want you to start calling me because then it has, you have to know how, you have to give yourself a timeline also. Like you can feel really crappy about something, a bad marathon, especially if you've done more than one. You have no expectations the first time. It's not gonna go, it could be fantastic and you never have another great race. P.S. That happens too. Mm -hmm. But if you've had a really rough time and you need time off from everyone and everything just to, you know, to go into your cave and, and, and grieve, then you just let people know that I'm just going to take a little break from social media. From And nowadays with social media, that's another, you know, <laughs> an added layer into yeah. the, the miasma that is life today. But if you can just take the time off and be honest, that takes courage to do. And you have to, and even if you have a significant person in your life, significant other, they should know you well enough, but if they don't and they're feeling left out, then, you know, I mean, a, a, little, a little peck on the cheek isn't gonna kill you either. So, you know, give them a, give them a like, throw them a bone from time to time, but, you know, just that's it. You know, you have, you have the right to have, have your feelings. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with the word courage there because we are like always so in this mode of like, oh my God, we don't wanna like, displease someone else or like mm -hmm. but here you're just you need that space for yourself and you can't help someone un unless you have helped yourself first you have been at the olympics at pretty big events mm -hmm. can you talk about what that's like and sure. working in the camp there with athletes oh it's it's amazing actually it's every olympics was so different from every other olympics because as the expectations changed like in terms of what the olympics are now with professional athletes etc um the way that we be, the way that we handled everything changed so dramatically. I mean, in '92 we weren't recognized, so I went in '92 and I was at the, and in Barcelona, and we were all there together. That was cool, 
but it didn't, it wasn't the same with the uniform and so on. 96, the uniform, the venue, the, the credentials were very different, the, you know, with the superimposed, um, you know, you were so protected. And you're, I was at rowing canoe kayak for those weeks. And, um, and I was the chief therapist, uh, massage therapist for all the athletes of the world in that venue because that's how they ran that thing ACOG that's how it went and so we were at each of the venues there were only two chiropractors for the entire Olympic Games wow. in 96 wow. two there were only two now every team has one or two sometimes so because athletes really want chiropractic mm -hmm. and when it when it when it comes down to it when you're at that level you're gonna need a couple of surgeons on staff of course but you really need the people that put their hands on you the whole time. So, so 96 was very different. I worked with the team up to 2000 and 2004, again, very different. In 2004, I was with, um, with uh, track and field. I had been with them for years already and working with juniors and first youth world meet and all these different, you know, so I worked with these athletes over and over and over again. And uh, we get out there, it's five weeks. We're five weeks in Crete. We stayed in a five-star hotel on the beach in Crete. Boy, that's <laughs> rough. But we had, a, we had a great, great staff, and um, we did a lot of, um, it was, it was an unusual set of circumstances, and uh, that was the year of Marion Jones, mm -hmm. and things went very south on that meet, and um, a lot of shenanigans, pros, shenanigans, a lot of pros and a lot of shenanigans, and uh, so that was a tough one. That one I did not enjoy very much. I loved Athens, beautiful, beautiful city, by the way, if you've never been. Um, but um, that was very tough. And I saw the, turn, the, the, the turning of the tide in 2004, how different things were. And mind you, in 92, we had the dream team. So I, I should have seen it in 92, but I, you know, my venue yeah. was rowing. So no, you know, back yeah. then, right. who cares? Except for we had great, great rowers, you know, and, and, um, God knows the Brits had the greatest rowers. Mm -hmm. So we had a wonderful, wonderful time in 92. 96 was fun. A lot of, it was very organic. We were out at the venue. It was just fabulous. 90, uh, 2000, Australia, I didn't get to go. <laughs> well, this is how it works. So to, I worked with the team right up till then. And then they send, you know, you have to share the wealth. You, mm -hmm. You've got to keep people coming back so you can't always go every time. Mm -hmm. they got to have other people, and that's really cool. I think that's the way to do it. And then um, 2012 for me was the best, and that was in London. And I was there with paracycling, which I had asked for a different assignment. I wanted to work in Paralympics because I'd never done that. And so I went with cycling that time with paracycling, and those are return. Those are veterans and other disabled athletes. Ninety-nine percent of them have disabled in their lifetime, not born disabled. So it's really interesting how um, the will, mm -hmm. the will of these of these athletes is very different than than the athletes that I normally work with, and that was extraordinary. And uh, the venue was absolutely fantastic and now i mean people are living i've been out there since it's a pretty cool spot that they they put them in that part of london the the games where they the olympic village and now it's like housing and london really figured it out it was so smooth and so easy to get everywhere one of my funny things happened to me there though 
So we get there, and, you know, you're going to go through processing. And I've got disabled athletes, wheelchairs, you know, all this stuff going on. And uh, the head coach tosses me the keys to this, like, mammoth van <laughs> driving on the wrong side of the road. In and he the says, hey. Narrow he says, streets of London. Right. He's, he's toes. Well, they made. Ve- okay. They made. But, you know, you had a. Ah! So he tosses. He says, you're going to have to take. like, tosses me the keys. You get them over to processing. Oh, my God. Like, me? No pressure. <laughs> the little sparkster. You're like, what are you kidding? <laughs> uh, he says, well, you're the only one here that can drive stick shift. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not doing it. Oh. I said, I am responsible for them. Mm-hmm. You find one of the mechanics, like right. one of those guys can drive. I'm the one that has to like make sure they get on and off and in and out and you know, have all their wheelchair parts. Like this thing's come apart. What? <laughs> like, and then the, hopping in the driver's seat. Oh yeah, seat. <laughs> no problem. I'm there for you. Oh my gosh. Like, well, anyway. This? Yeah. So I've done it since though, P.S. Up in the Alps. <laughs> Worse. Worse. Yeah. Slippery. You're like, London isn't challenging enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Let me do this with my eyes closed next. So you were in Athens in 2004? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Were you there when Meb and Dina? Yeah. Okay. okay. I was. That's cool. Meb would call us on, when we were in Crete, and he would say, I, I, so Dr. Anderson and I would finally get home like this. And the marathoners are the last ones out of the venue, so we're packing. Mm-hmm. We, they left us behind to take care of the, you know, they went with the money athletes, the medical staff. Money athletes are always marrying the sprinters, right? Mm-hmm. So they left us back there to take care of the long-distance runners and pack the place up. So we're back, and I, you know, I get this it's 11 o'clock or so at night. I'm like, Brr. I'm just like, Meb, he says, hey, is it too late to get an ice bath? Oh. Not at all, Meb, not at all, oh, really. No. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> and we had him like in some kind of garage, yeah. and we had to like the big tubs, yeah. and you had to find the, uh, you know. And it's, you know, ice is not ice anywhere else, you know. It's a commodity for sure. That's true, yeah. I've been at races. I once was at a race in Biarritz of all places, and we were black marketing ice, you know. <laughs> oh we were, like, going from place to place, like, how much you got? How much you got? Like, I got I got two trays. Yeah. You know? Two trays. Yeah, <laughs> two trays of ice. What are you kidding me? Yeah. All right, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Matthew Futterman's book in which he describes how Bob Larson was running around looking for ice. Yeah, that's like true. Slamming doors. He's like, do you have any ice? I need ice for my marathon. Right. I know, I know. This is it. This is and true. And the, wa- the way he found space for the ice vests yeah. for the race. Yeah. That's, see, it's what you do. Yeah. We just do it. We find a, find a way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to totally change the subject. Go ahead. One of my favorite parts of going to see you is talking to you about what you're currently reading. Can uh, you tell us what you're reading right now? You're book devourer oh yes so i just read trust exercise and uh it just won the national book award it's a fiction but it's very closely uh, it's about um seeing something from multiple points of view it's uh, about a high school of performing arts in the south somewhere that puts on a that invites a a group of English actors to put on a production of Candide, and it's very, very intense because it does it. It's they have high expectations of this production, and it's not at all what they thought was coming. You know, they saw them as Shakespearean types, and they're they're very avant-garde, and it's 
not what, what they're expecting. So it's like one of these stories that gets told over and over again from different points mm. of view, looking back. And But you're in it in the beginning. It's really, really, I highly recommend it. That's a great book. Um, nonfiction, <laughs> I'm reading <laughs> The Biography of Sidney Lumet. Mm. Uh, the director I absolutely mm -hmm. loved. And, and uh, it's a wonderful story because he's a true New Yorker and all of his films are very New York. And he did a film, uh, did a, towards the end of his life, he did a film that I was very privileged to. I had an office in City Center Theater, which is right next to Roadrunners now, but it was a very big office. And my outer part of my office, I had a huge massage chair, I had a chaise longue. I mean, it was just crazy, because I inherited these things from Robert Joffrey, whose office it had been before, and it was just this fantastic old place. And um, so, I was working in my little office, and one of my friends down the hall, she had a film company called Millennial Arts, and she was, they were doing a documentary on, a, on an opera called La Juive that had been taken out of the repertory during the time of the Nazis. It had been Enrico Caruso's favorite part to play, and I'd never heard it or seen it. But as luck would have it, Sidney Lumet was the director of the short that they did to kind of get it going. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't have enough room in their place to, um, to have the, the editing done. So they asked me if they could borrow some space in my office. So they set up a bank of, I never saw editing done before. So that was really cool. And they were in there like, click, 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 click. you know how they, I don't yeah. know what they're, you know, they've got the headphones on, they're <laughs> and Sidney Lumet's over there. No. <laughs> and then and then the singer comes in, the guy that plays the part, his name is Neil Shikoff. He comes in, he's like, oh, oh, click, 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 click. It was an amazing experience. So I was very excited to read his biography because, you know, it was so local, so yeah. real. You only get to see this, like, you see those Haddad trucks everywhere, mm -hmm. but you don't yeah. get to hang out with these people. It's like an inside look, as inside as it gets. As yeah. inside. Yeah. Inside your it office. It was so cool <laughs> in my it's office. It's like coming to you instead. Yes, like. exactly. <laughs> It was a beautiful. So that's that's that, and then I have this other. What else was I reading? Yeah, I just I just like always reading something. I just read something in French. Like I wanted to see if it. This is an American writer. They translated one of his books into French, and it's about the region where I have a little home in France. And so, it's I wanted to see if it how it reads in French because it's written in English most of the time, and all the people are very the, the area is very real. He he lives there. This writer lives in France part year, mm -hmm. so it was really fun to read that book. And it's the guy's name is uh, Martin Walker, and he writes about a region called La Dordogne, where mm -hmm. I have a home, and he writes these mysteries about it. But they're all very local, so the history around the area is fascinating because it's where they found the grottos of Lasco. Oh. which are beautiful cave paintings, yeah. and they keep finding more and more caves in this region of the early Cro-Magnon, the Cro and the Magnon. So it's fascinating to see, you know, these people, many of them have farmed or lived in that area in perpetuity. So they, they've lived in the Valley of Man more or less forever. So it's interesting to see, mm -hmm. you know, and to read about that part of the world is kind of so beautiful and so remote and, and different and I'm going to have retreats there for you all to come and run in because you can run for miles without seeing a person count me in. Car. yes 
you should definitely just bring your gardening gloves and your work boots. There will be some small amount of work required. Yeah. (laughs) Work study. You'll like it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had a training tip, a training tip? Yes. I think the whole thing went from like training tip to training tip to training (laughs) tip. Okay. Here's a good one. All right. Well, there are a couple of things you have to do to be really good at running for a long time. You have to have really strong gluteus medius. That is a weakness in most runners. When I'm running behind people, which is naturally at my age, I'm running behind mostly everybody. But, and I don't care because it's really good for my work to see how people run. So, and especially when they pass me and their hips are swaying left, right, (laughs) left, right. I say their glutes are weak. Mm -hmm. So you can be really fast, but if your hips are swaying, you're gonna pay eventually. So the trick for that, the tip is to strengthen those glute meds and do it before you work, before you run. And if you're running a race, even if it's a small one, warm those up first. So to do that, if you can visualize, you are standing up, you have your, let's say your left leg is straight and your right leg is bent up, you know, you're standing on one leg and your left leg is bent at 90 degrees and you're going to vigorously, that means you're gonna lead with your heel inward. So you're gonna vigorously wag. It's not like a jiggle, but it's a real wag. Kick, 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 kick. You're gonna try and do it for one minute per leg, keeping your hips square, not dropping your right hip while while your heel is kicking to the inside. If you can visualize that, that's really good. If you can't get that one in your head, then the other thing you could do, it's called a skate, the skater. You can do side to side, but instead of just stepping side to side, like left to right, bring your feet together, left, right, bring the feet together. Instead of doing that, you jump to the right, jump to the left, jump to the right without touching your the, the foot that isn't jumping. So say you're jumping to the right, you bring your left foot to your right, but you don't touch your left foot to the ground. You just immediately leap to the left, mm-hmm. with, okay? If you can do it like that, that really gets those glutes to fire. You know, we're always saying, like, your glute isn't firing. Nobody even knows what that means. I was going to say, yeah. Like, what does that mean? So it means that it's not engaged. And the only job of the gluteus medius, the real job, I mean, it has a couple of other little ones that it helps with, is to hold the femur, which is the thigh bone, into the acetabulum, which is the joint of the hip, it's to hold that together. So its job is to keep that pulled in. So when I see somebody swaying back and forth, I know that that gap is opening, opening. Mm-hmm. That can lead to symphysis pubicitis, to problems in the, in the pubis where the two bones meet and they rub together. That happens with marathoners, especially fast ones. That's a kind of like a fractury kind of a feeling, but it's worse. And um, that would be number one. So get those glute meds strong. The second one is you must stretch your calves. And I don't mean to stretch your calves by putting your, although people do it all the time, like by putting your foot up against the curb and just stretching over it to stretch that calf. That is too much. That stretches your Achilles, which needs to stay fixed. Your Achilles shouldn't be stretched. Your calf should be stretched. The Achilles, its sole job is to hold the ankle together. If you get that to be 
loose and flexible, then it's unstable. And so a lot of people have instability because they're always flexing the Achilles and not the calf. When you flex the calf properly, you only feel the, the, the stretch, and you'll feel it, believe me, in the muscle belly. So what I would suggest is you take off your sneaker, you flip it over onto its face so you have the tread under your foot. You put your, you place your, let's just say you place your right foot on the tread and then you step towards the wall with your left leg and you bend your left leg in and you keep your right leg straight. And I mean the heel is on the floor. So if you're too far, like let's just take it out about a foot from the wall to start, see if you can do it from there. If that's too close and you bring it out just a little bit further, the only place you want to feel that stretch is in the muscle belly. I'm giving these to you for free, by the way. <laughs> People pay me a lot of money for this information. No, I'm looking. <laughs> but if you do these, I promise you, you will really be glad. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. It's winter. You need more water than you can imagine in the winter because it's just going away all right, all the time so, because you're not staying warm enough mostly. But definitely you want to uh, drink as much, you know, really stay hydrated and make sure... I use Natural Calm at night before I go to bed, which has a lot of mineral replacement, and it's very good for flushing your system. So if you know what I mean, um, Natural Calm, you start with a very little amount, like a quarter teaspoon, and move up through that, but it's very effective. It works really well. Those two good tips. I only gave you two. That's great. great. Thank you. Thank you for all of the tips that you've given us <laughs> and all of the great stories. Um, how can people find you if they would like to visit you? Oh, if they want to visit me, my phone number is 212-957-1561, and it's mobile, so you can always find me, all right, even though it's always turned off. <laughs> Do not disturb, but I will call you back. Yep. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll see you out there. Yes, you will. All right. Oh, yes, indeed.